You're listening to The Big Picture with Edwin Eisendraft on WCPT 820. Okay, thank you for staying with us and you're uh, going to enjoy this. Ty Rushing is chief correspondent at the Iowa starting line. And you know, I talk about Iowa with um, some frequency because well, at least two years ago, when we started having these conversations, Iowa was a sort of normal state that you could look at and, and learn a lot about us. Um, I'm not sure if that's true anymore. Uh, so I, I, I want to reach out to Ty and we're going to get caught up on some really sort of shocking things that are happening in his state. Hi there, Ty. Hey, how are you doing? I, I'm doing well, but I am worried about my neighbors in Iowa. I mean, the state is 30th, you know, in per, ca- per capita income, you know, and it, it, it is sort of, it could be doing a lot better, but it's, it's not. And now you have a legislature that I, looks like it's committing suicide. I mean, we could go through an, a, a range of issues, but I, it looks like, you know, it's like a full on MAGA convention in your state house. It's uh, been quite a session to cover. I mean, there have been several times where I'm like looking around, you know, uh, at people, other people in the room and like, I'm like, is this really happening? Is this a thing that we're focusing on right now? Like, how is this real life? I mean, it's, it's felt like a simulation at times. Yeah, but it's going to, it's going to, it's going to hurt people. I, you know, it's not, we play politics like it's a game, but there are real life consequences for people, um, for their, for their economic future, for their health and safety, you know, for their, uh, honestly for their freedom um but like let's just let's just run down a list and i i'm just gonna go like through some bullets and you tell me what happened because it's one crazier thing after the other so um i like guns in schools what's going on okay so to be fair the guns can't be in the schools they could just be on school grounds (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, uh, so recess. <laughs> yes, let's be fair there. So uh, that bill is uh, been titled the Gun Omnibus, and what it allows is people with valid concealed and carry permits to keep guns in the, uh, in their vehicles if they're out of sight on school grounds, um, and that includes colleges, community colleges, all public schools. Um, and there's also a provision in there that would allow schools to authorize someone to carry a, a weapon on school vehicles. So, like, you know, your bus driver can be strapped now uh, if this goes through. So it's only passed in the House, um, in the House, so let's go through the Senate. And, yeah, that that's one of them. And the House version of the bill also includes an amendment that would make, uh, that would require K-12 through schools to teach NRA gun safety curriculum. Uh, good. Does the NRA have a gun safety curriculum or is it their, their idea of gun safety curriculum uh, keep guns safe from Democrats who want to pass legislation to make them a little more difficult for people to have? I mean, do, they, do they really tell people? Yeah. I was going to say, not only do they have a gun safety curriculum, but uh, it has a cartoon character called Eddie the Eagle as the mascot. Wow. Okay, good. So, so I'm glad they're taking education seriously. Some of those hours of the school day, um, they should devote to gun safety as a, as a curricular item, not history, not math, not science, but they should have gun safety classes required in schools. But then again, 
um, while we're on the topic of kids and what they should be doing, what about kids in factories? Yeah, so that would be the child labor bill. Um, see. <laughs> Again, like I told you before, it's, it's like, it, sounds, it doesn't sound like you're talking about real things that are happening here in Iowa, but uh, the child labor bill has passed in the Iowa Senate. It's going to be debated possibly in the Iowa House on Monday. And what this bill does it, is it rolls back a lot of restrictions on child labor, and it allows you know uh, teenagers to work in hazardous work conditions. So they modified the bill after a little bit of blowback because originally uh, there was a provision in there where there was like if, if a kid got hurt on the job, like there was no fault to the employer at all. So they like tinkered with that a little bit after some blowback. And there was also a provision in there that with exceptions, uh, kids would be allowed to work in mining in addition to a number of other incredibly dangerous occupations. And they scaled that back a little bit, but you can still have kids work in uh, light assembly, uh, let's see, uh, industrial freezers and meat coolers. So, you know, meat packing plants, um, do a lot of loading and unloading. So, yeah, it, and, the, and the excuse for this helped me understand the rationale. I mean, I, it, yeah. uh, I mean, because people can explain anything. So, what was the, what was the explanation for this? Oh, we want to give them work experience. Uh, we want to be. Uh, we, we we just want to pay somebody less to do the work. Oh, we've closed immigration, so we you know we don't have the employees we need. So let's take your children. What like what was it that they said? Okay, so there's a very there's, a, there's kind of a, a variety of excuses here. So some, uh, like the bill manager, he said, "Hey, this is providing a great great opportunities for youth who aspire and who desire and aspire to learn the responsibility of having a job." That that's what he said. Uh, now the proponents of the bill, like the Iowa Grocery Association, the Iowa Restaurant Association, have straight up admitted that, hey, this is gonna fill a gap in the workforce because, you know, after COVID, a lot of workers in those industries, you know, either retired decided died, they didn't want to work there and yeah. jobs. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and so yeah. like, you know, if you can't get adults to fill these jobs, what's the next best best thing? Child, children. <laughs> So that's kind of, yeah, that was, so, you know, Sanders is opening up opportunities for people is kind of like the, you know, on the surface, what we're saying, but we know it's to fill a labor gap. And then, you know, you also fill it with people because you don't want, you know, why have immigrants do some of these jobs? Like, because you don't want them here. So why not use the next best natural resource you have in the state? Okay, so the kids are going to learn NRA gun safety in school so they can uh, go work in factories all, all night long. This is a, this is, um, America walked away from this in the 1920s in the progressive era, but you guys are walking backwards in Iowa. How about like, just let's make sure if we're doing this, that we, you know, it's going to be important that we keep track and that we're accountable and that government, you know, does its job to make sure kids are safe, does its job to make sure that, that schools stay safe. So what about accountability in the state? Like what happened to the state auditor? Oh, so this is another interesting thing. Uh, so basically last May uh, before the primaries, there were two Republican candidates for state auditor who were trying to challenge a uh, Democrat Rob Sand, who's held this position, who was the first elected in 2018. So there were two Republicans. And Governor Reynolds didn't endorse either one publicly. But during an event, she said, you know, I want my own state AG and I want a state auditor who won't try to sue me. 
uh, every time. Around. Well, Rob fans say auditors never sued her. So he narrowly, he was the only statewide Democrat that survived election night here in Iowa in November. Well, Republicans couldn't take them out. So what's the next, big th- next best thing if you can't take them out? Handicap them. So uh, this bill initially was kind of a little bit innocuous. It was like a one-page bill that was like about, you know, quote-unquote, pr- protecting uh, people's privacy uh, from, the state, from the state auditor's office. Well, right before the debate on the bill was set to begin, uh, an amendment was introduced that, cha- that changed this one-page bill into a four-page bill that severely restricted the powers of the state auditor's office. Uh, like, and Democrats, Democrats hadn't seen it, Democratic senators hadn't seen it beforehand. The state auditor's office had no input. And so everyone was kind of just stunned that this bill was unleashed, like, you know, right there before the debate began. So it's worked its way through both chambers and, uh, the Senate has signed off on it. The House has signed off on it. And now it's up to the governor to decide if she wants to sign a bill to limit the powers of the state auditor. And who, you know, she obviously has a relation, doesn't have a good relationship with and who she's previously, you know, championed getting out of office. And so and this is also at a time when we approved a multi-billion dollar voucher program uh, early in the session. And then her office just got a five hundred thousand dollar no questions asked boost with no additional staffers. So there's going to be a lot of money flowing around Iowa that, you know, we're basically not going to be able to keep account of because our state auditor won't be able to do that now because the bill it does a number of things, but one of the most damning is that, like, he won't be able to, his office won't be able to subpoena records anymore if a government doesn't, like, an entity doesn't want to cooperate. Instead, it will go to arbitration with a representative from his office, a representative from the governor's office, and a representative from the entity that's being audited. So, and it's a majority vote. So, if the people who are being audited don't want to be audited and the governor agrees with them, then that information that they, the state auditor's office needs to conduct the audit just won't be available. But look, the good people of Iowa used to stand for clean, decent, transparent government and, and not excessive in any direction. Just let's like get the job done so we can get on with our lives. But it sounds like they've gone full MAGA on uh, guns in schools. They've gone, um, they, they've lost their sense of decency about children working dangerous jobs. And now the public is supposed to have a government spending its their tax dollars in a way that's completely unaccountable, in particularly in the area of school vouchers, which I can name the states. I mean, Arizona and Ohio come to mind, where all that's led to is criminal behavior and indictment and conviction for fraud. That's okay with Iowans? You know, the vouchers got a lot of pushback. Um, that that was uh, probably one of the, you know, because they, they, but they, they ran it through so quickly. Like, it didn't even go through appropriations. They skipped several legislative steps that bills normally go through, especially ones that massive in size. Uh, and they created a whole special committee just to run that one through. So, like, it was a little bit harder for organized resistance to, you know, resist. Uh, and people, you know, you heard a lot of pushback from that. You had a lot of the education groups being opposed to it. Um, you had a lot of, you know, private schools, of course, obviously supporting it. But it was just rammed through so fast that it was like really, really hard to organize a true resistance to it. And, you know, Iowans pride themselves on their public schools. I mean, and that's in, you know, rural communities, urban communities, you know, mid-sized communities. Like, that's always been a thing here. I mean, it, it was a very unpopular proposal, but it still went through because the governor wanted it. Yeah, and now there's no accountability on the money side. So, uh, um, 
Is there a betting pool about how long it's going to take for massive fraud to develop and uh, criminal indictments at the federal level to start happening? They will. What's the betting? But we're just like, I know reporters are just kind of like, well, we're going to get some content out of this. Yeah. All right. Well, so we haven't covered all of the crazy things in your state. There seems to be, as there are in a lot of states that have gone gone down this road, an attack on women's reproductive rights. Oh, yes. Yeah. Again, this has been a very unreal session. So uh, the plan from a lot of GOP leaders before the session, including Governor Reynolds, was that they were going to wait on to see what the Iowa Supreme Court does about the the six week, uh, the so-called fetal mm-hmm. heartbeat bill. So that was going to be a basically, that was basically going to prevent like all abortion in the state. Uh, if it becomes law, that was approved in 2018. And so because it's been tied up in the courts for so long, um, she just wanted to wait to see what the court said about it. Well, I believe it was about 20 house Republicans kind of went rogue on that and introduced their own version, uh, to just ban abortion outright in the state. Um, it didn't go anywhere because, again, you know, uh, the leaders want to wait to see what happens with this court case. But, yeah, it was um, it was a 53 page bill that just like just put all sorts of restrictions in there. Just so many restrictions in there. And one of the sponsors of it was a freshman Republican legislator who previously uh, had three abortions herself. And then she became a born again Christian and became extremely anti-abortion. I can't, I can't even, I don't even know what to make of any of that. But I guess it's paired with the attack on LGBTQ people, right? And that's, yeah, we've had more than 30 pieces of anti-LGBTQ <clears throat> legislation introduced uh, this year. <laughs> 30. <laughs> it's been an unreal session. Um, and because young people in America, even young people in Iowa, have made up their mind that all of these things are wrong, that it's all BS, and that this isn't the future they want. So um, when they're not like being impressed into working in a meatpacking plant at night, they might go on social media and say to people, you know, this is really bad what's going on in our state, except that you guys have now said that we can ban kids from having their own social media accounts. Do I have that right too? Yeah. Yep. That bill hasn't, uh, that bill hasn't seen the floor yet, but initially the bill just banned children. Uh, well, it banned anyone from 18 from having their own social media account, but it was written so broadly that it said electronic communication devices and it, it banned email. It banned school services with messaging features. Like it was written so broadly and it actually got pushed back from uh, some several larger national groups uh, uh, in the tech industry. And so, like, a more narrowed-down version of it was, uh, was it was amended into a more narrow version that says you can't have social media without parental permission, which – so, basically, the I don't co-parent with the government crowd introduced the bill to do something that parents can already do because, you know, if you're a good parent, you can't control your kids' access to, yeah. you know, yeah. social media. Okay. Wow. So this all sounds just, I mean, I, I, let's just zoom out a little bit now. I, so, so crazy stuff is going on in Iowa. It didn't used to happen, but somebody hit like the spin cycle and now the state is like whirling and crazy stuff is happening and I'm worried you're all going to go down. But <laughs> just in case, um, um, that 
the bill, the Republican bill that um, in Washington that was uh, uh, now got through the House to give uh, Kevin McCarthy a reason to say, look, this is what will keep us from defaulting on the debt. Here's what we're for. If those if the provisions of that bill were applied to Iowa, how would Iowa fare? Well, I actually have some numbers for you. So, uh, according to federal estimates, uh, 92,000 uh, 92, Iowans will lose access to food assistance. Uh, 2,900 kids in Iowa will lose preschool and child care slots. 5,100 Iowa families will lose access to rental assistance, including older adults, those with disabilities, and families with children. As many as 70,000 kids with disabilities in Iowa will face reduced support. Iowa schools serving nearly 110,000 low-income children will lose $25 million in funding, including equivalent to removing about 400 teachers or other personnel from classrooms. Uh, Iowa veterans will lose 77,500 outpatient doctor visits, including for issues like mental health and substance disorder treatment and suicide prevention. And thousands of Iowa seniors will lose access to meals on wheels. So those are just some of the numbers uh, that and how, that, how they will affect Iowans. They, but they all, they all, um, they share something in common. All of those numbers, they target, um, they target groups of people for particular mean treatment, just meanness. They go. They, it says sort of like, "Hey, we're not all in this together. We're going to just be, you know, to protect our own. We're going to be mean to everybody else." And it's a, it's a sort of like fitting with I own the plant and I'm going to impress the kids to work in it. Like, I cannot believe that the good, decent people of Iowa, when their eyes are open, are not going to be ashamed of all of this. It's it's incredible. I mean, because like, especially a lot of the stuff you sent to state level, they didn't run on these things. You know, they didn't run on some of these bills. You know, uh, they a lot of them, a lot of state state uh, representatives and uh, senators, they ran on pretty much federal campaigns. Democrats, you know, you know the stuff. Democrats all are socialists. Democrats want to defund the police. Democrats want to do this, this, and that. We want to fix inflation. We want to lower costs. And guess how many bills have been introduced to address some of those things? Yeah, zero. Zero, except the House Democrats actually did introduce some of those bills, but they got no traction. <sighs> Well, Ty, I, um, I mean, I'm thrilled that, you know, Iowa starting line, um, you know, exists and is there. I, it's been the job of the media in American history to bring these actions of government to light. I mean, you know, we had we, we got rid of, you know, child labor in the era of Ida Tarbo and the muckrakers, journalists who told the public what government was doing in a way that they could hear. But journalism is in trouble in Iowa like it is everywhere else, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you got some of the bigger papers just, you know, continually laying off people and we got less and less bodies. I mean, I talked to someone who covered the state ledge 20 years ago and he just talked about like how, you know, some papers would provide like three shifts of reporters just to cover so many things. I mean, and we have, but the, the crew we have at the Capitol now is very, it's smaller than it has been historically, but it is still mighty. I mean, everyone there is punching above their weight. And, you know, it's so, and a lot of us, like, we help each other out. You know, we're like, okay, hey, this person spoke at a hearing. Did you get their name? Or, oh, did you catch this? Or, hey, did you hear about this? Yeah. And so, because we all want Iowans to be informed about what is happening with their state government. 
And so, you know, we, we all have the same mission, like, and we, again, you know, informing people, let them know what's happening here, keeping their, let them hold their leaders accountable. And so, you know, sometimes you got to work together on that. I mean, it's, and I know like in the past, you know, especially with other media outlets, you know, everyone's always, you know, it was more competitive. Like you always want to be like, everyone's my competition, but yeah, I got to get the scoop. Yeah. We don't got the, I mean, and there's still people who get some scoops during this session. Don't get me wrong. There are still some bombshell drops from people, but a lot of times it's just like, okay, we're better as a collective than uh, as an individual, you know, the fist is a lot more powerful than the finger. Yep. So, so, so you're working together, but are Iowans well-informed? Do they really, do they know all the things that we just talked about? I think so. Um, we, we, we've approached this legislative session vastly different than we have any other with starting line. Uh, what we've done is like, you know, since we've pivoted to being a social first place, um, we have been live clipping uh, hearings, committee debates, uh, public meetings, all this kind of stuff. We've been live clipping that and like throwing clips on TikTok and Instagram. And, you know, just providing, like, graphics on, like, okay, here's this bill, here's the information about it, here's the link to it, you can read about it. You know, I tweet out when a big debate's about to happen. Like, we've been just using the hell out of social media to, like, let people know, hey, this is where you can go. Because our, our, our ledge website is a mess to navigate, so we've been providing direct links to bills and, you know, uh, videos and things like that and recording mm-hmm. stuff. So, like, we have been doing our best to inform people, like, by, and when you, you know, we're meeting the audience where they are. Yep. And when you are a social first media organization, if somebody then wants to research the things that you've that you've written and posted, are they still able to do that? Or do they live on a bunch of different social platforms so that if somebody were searching for the things that you've written on this session, they could only find some of them? No, no, that's the beauty of like, you know, uh, tweeting out links or like saying the name of the bill. So like, yep. you know, uh, yeah. And so like, we want you to go and look at this stuff. Like, you know, Hey, we're saying, we're telling you this, but go, go check it out for yourself. You know, I yep. make a point, like when someone challenges me on something like, okay, um, somebody said that this fiscal note didn't say what it said. So I'll post it, uh, for JPEGs of the entire fiscal note. Like, there you go. Go read it yourself. Tell yeah. me, tell, show me where I'm wrong. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'll well. give you the evidence. Like, here you go, my friend. So, Ty, I, I again, I'm very appreciative that you guys are there. I'm worried, really worried about Iowa and other states that seem caught up in this madness, um, passing laws that the public doesn't want and um, and that will do damage, damage to people across their state. I hope that um, I mean, I know that the state is. But, you know, right now, very hard for anybody in the state to vote for Democrats and Democrats don't win. But for the good people of Iowa, I'm hoping at least some of the Republicans will come to their senses and not continue to do this terrible damage to everybody. Well, you see more House Republicans and Senate Republicans like vote against bills, you know, and frankly, a lot of folks uh, in the chambers are scared of Reynolds uh, on the Republican side because of what she did last summer. Uh, you recall during the primary, she, there was some, there was a couple of competitive house primary races and some of those races involved, uh, house Republicans in rural areas who didn't support her voucher plan. Well, she endorsed their opponents who were pro voucher and she got dang near all of them out of there. And that kind of sent a message like, 
because, you know, the governor usually stays neutral in a primary race, you know, for her own party. But she came out swinging and she flexed her muscle. And because of the success of those primaries, like all the money, all the federal money she had, uh, you know, gaining largest, larger majorities in the Senate and the House, she came into this session as probably the most powerful governor in Iowa history. And well, look, I, speaking as a proud Illinoisan who's watched governor after governor after governor go to jail. I, I hope that she I hope that she is prepared for what's going to rain down on her when her auditor isn't looking and she thinks that you know all this money and vouchers can go to whoever she wants and she takes money from the folks who like it. Uh, you know, this is a one way ticket to federal penitentiary. I'm you know, I hope she's prepared. I mean, well, she's a, I mean, a lot of folks are speculating that she's she's planning for 2024, you know. Uh, depending on whoever the Republican nominee is, like she could get a cabinet spot or a VP spot. Like, and she said that she, she said it repeatedly that, you know, I was her focus and I was where she would want to be, but her national, you know, her, her brand has grown nationally. Like, you know, when she delivered the, the response to Biden's uh, state of the union address last year, it was just kind of like it put her over the moon. And now she's the chairperson of the Republican governor's association. I mean, the national Republican Go- governor's association. And then just like, uh, you know, she's the bell of the ball. Like, you know, all the 2024 candidates or potential candidates have to come here and kiss the ring. Well, I, um, I mean, you still have, you, you still have, you have caucuses still, right? This time, or even though they're not first. Uh, well, we still have the, the, the Republicans are committed to Iowa going first in 2024. So, like, we're seeing a lot of those candidates. Obviously, what's happening on the Dem side is still in flux. Um, like, you know, Iowa Democrats are still planning a caucus. They're planning a, uh, a different one. What's going to have what it's going to be like caucus through mail. They're still well, they still haven't finalized that plan. They're still working on it. And then obviously the DNC came out and said, no, I was not going to be first anymore. So right. the Dem side is, you know, kind of up in the air. But the Republicans have firmly committed to Iowa for 2024 and the candidates have been here. Interesting. Well, Ty, we have to talk again as more candidates show up. I'd love to get your take on it. And I'd love to follow up with you in a little bit and understand the fate of some of these bills that are in your legislature and the temperature of the people in the state when they start to reel from the impact of these bad laws. Oh, absolutely. Uh I'd welcome it. I mean, it's kind of nice to hear uh, other folks, paying att- you know, see what's happening here and paying attention to it because, uh, you know, it's not normal. It is absolutely not normal, and we can't let it become normalized. Well, I wish you were right, except that in Missouri, in uh, uh, North Dakota, in uh, parts of Wisconsin, in Wisconsin because of the legislature, in uh, South Carolina, in um you know, state after state after state, this crazy behavior is being normalized. And um, that's the battle we're in. You know, and while reporters are busy looking at Washington, they are not seeing what's happening to the country. That's why these conversations matter. And that's why state house reporters matter, too. Yeah. I mean, and you're not alone. You and other states are going through this. So I'm very grateful to you. Anyway, we, we've run up, we've run up against the clock. I hope we talk again soon. Thank you, Ty. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks for having me. <laughs> you bet. All right, everybody. That was Ty Rushing, the chief correspondent for the Iowa starting line in a story that really sounded more like Halloween than, you know, early summer.